Alright peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of light-footed Bruce Lee, lots of, you wanna fight bro? Alright, push me right here. Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. <laughs> Yo, Dre, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. So here we are. We're how recording. are you, Sifu? I'm a little tired, you know? A little it's tired. Been, I, we got a busy week. I mean, obviously, by you the dress, time... This, you dress up in the dark? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, got a, I, got a, I got a busy week. Yeah. Um, so, like, I uh, got a little bit of stress on the mind. You know, mm. we have our summer camp coming up. I mean, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be all... Old yes, news, but uh, yeah, we got a, we got a lot of a lot of stuff coming up, mm. and so uh, we got guests coming in from all over the world, and yeah. we got like a little anniversary celebrations. We got a lot of stuff. It's like there's a little bit of uh... what the what? sound guy decides to blow his nose <laughs> while I'm talking. <laughs> Unbelievable! That's, Unbelievable! That's sound guy 101, right there. Yeah, it's just he, professional. He, he missed that day, and uh, yeah, everyone class. must understand the KFG. Yeah. Podcast is many things, but it is certainly professional. <laughs> all right. Um, no, but something weird happened last night. Okay, what was this? so lately? I've been watching, you know, that the Wu Tang TV oh, yeah, series, yeah, yeah. right? You which is like a you catching up, yeah. Which is like a dramatization of like the history of the Wu Tang clan. So yeah. Uh, so uh, I didn't see season two, which was the latest one, and then mm-hmm. uh, because it's just been busy, and then I, I just binged it all like in the last two weeks. Yeah. And my daughters have been watching, and the show is super inappropriate for uh-huh. small children. But they're getting and a hip-hop education. No, I, I'm always telling them, girls, you need to get out of the room while daddy watches <laughs> oh, Wu-Tang. Right, okay. And then they'll go to their room, and then the... they'll like come back oh, to the wow. kitchen for to get something. And then I'll just see Maria just straight watching it, and she's wow. super into it. She's like, daddy, I want to know about the Wu-Tang. <laughs> and, then, and then the other day, I, was, I had just such a proud dad moment, because uh-huh. like... Uh, Maria and Lucia, they got up in the morning like, Daddy, can you play Cream? It's stuck in my head and I want to hear it now. And I was like, wow. wow. That's uh, that's some... Yo, I think my glasses are fogging up with steam. Yo. Do you see that? AC, the uh, the Yeah, but no, we I also on. think it's the sweat coming off of my face. <laughs> it's so hot in here. <laughs> I hope our podcast listeners yeah. appreciate yeah, the suffering so. for this yeah. art. Yeah, so anyway, suffer. you know, i was been a huge Wu-Tang fan from back in the day. Yeah. And uh, but and nothing nothing in hip hop gets me excited as much as the Wu Tang Clan did or still does. Mm-hmm. And last night, so you don't like the new stuff coming out? No, I don't like that mumble garbage. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing: like new rap, sometimes has like cool hooks. Mm-hmm. Like there's this kind, of, there's this song. It's Some called, melodies. I don't really like, hear like. Do you hear that one's like first class? Yeah, I'm gonna boom, but like the, yeah. they have like that stuff is Some definitely stuff. smoother than the old days. But then when the guy starts spitting bars, I want to vomit. All right, I'm like, can you imagine like a cool new style hook, but like with some real Wu Tang lyrics? You know what I mean? So like, music now is slicker, but the rap is not better for sure. Okay, it's awful. And last night I woke up at three in the morning. Three in the morning. And I had an Inspector Deck verse, like a couple bars, <laughs> oh, stuck yeah. in my head. Okay, which And one? it wasn't just that it was an earworm. Like, I woke up at 3 in the morning. It was in my head, most likely because I've been, Wu-Tang has been on the brain lately. All right, oh, nice. I apologize for Kung Fu Genius listeners. Like, dude, get to the Bruce Lee stuff. Why is he talking about <laughs> yeah, Wu-Tang, Why is he talking right? about hip-hop and right? Wu-Tang? But because, for me, good hip-hop is like good Kung Fu. Yeah. It requires skill and execution and it practice. It is a Kung Fu. It is absolutely Kung yeah. Fu, right? 
And I couldn't go to sleep. I shit thee not. Dude, I'm 44 years old, all right? I was uh, up at 3 in the morning yeah. thinking about uh, Inspector Deck's opening bars uh-huh. on, uh, I think the song's called Guillotines, Guillotine. on, on the Raekwon album, only built for Cuban only links. Only built for Cuban links. Yes. Yes. And then, and then, do you remember his opening bars? He goes... Poisonous paragraph, smash your phonograph in half and be that inspected deck on the warpath. Yes. I mean, like, yes, yes. that's how we opened it. And at three uh, in the morning, yes. my brain was like going, oh, my God, mm. like how poisonous paragraph, smash your phonograph, phonograph. in half. Like, I mean, like, who comes up with stuff like that? imagine someone just comes in and smash your Dude, phonograph in no, half? No, but I mean, who comes up with lyrics yeah. like yeah. that, man? That's crazy, right? No one can. Except yeah. Inspector Deck and well, I, mean, Rice. All, I mean, all those guys are good, right? But like, but seriously, no. I was like, there was like, I couldn't sleep for like 15 minutes. I was just thinking about how does someone write something like that, right? It was Love unbelievable. Love hip hop. It was unbelievable. You know, I came across earlier. Uh, it's National Beatbox Day today. National Beatbox Day. National Beatbox. Aren't you day. a former beatboxer? No, not really. But I've, I've dabbled. Uh huh. You've dabbled. dabbled. You've yeah, dabbled. Yeah, yeah. You know, like ma- like many people who do Wing Chun and Jeet Kune Do, they've dabbled. <laughs> true, true, right? true. No, I, I I was spitting for a minute, but beatboxing was always like secondary or third dairy. Third dairy. It's third dairy is tertiary, by the way. Tertiary. Yes. What? Primary. You learn something secondary new every day in tertiary. Kung Fu class. Yes. Yes. yes KFG. Yes. I am a veritable wow. cornucopia. You know what's so funny? Tertiary. Some, someone commented like about uh, some weird obscure comment that I spit on mm-hmm. an episode. And then the guy was like, wow, that's amazing that you knew that. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm a veritable cornucopia of useless information. <laughs> I saw this comment. And then he commented, like, for people who don't know what cornucopia means. And I was thinking, who doesn't know what cornucopia means? <laughs> and then I know. think that he's a Brit. Mm. And I think the word cornucopia is not as, because that's like, that's a kind of a more American, that's one of our fancy highfalutin words. Mm. Um, it's not, um, it's not one of their words. All right. You mentioned a while ago, not a while ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, you love Triumph. I love Triumph. You know why? Why? Because I lived in Seattle, Mm. all right, when I went to high school, but I'm from the East Coast. Yeah. So you have to imagine, I was kind of like Ralph Macchio's character in The Karate Kid, except there were no karate (laughs) bullies in my school, right? Uh, I just mean like I was the East Coast kid uh that moved over to the West Coast and was like, what the hell is this? Wow. Because Washington State, might as well just be California. Was Ralph Macchio from Jersey? Yeah, he was from Jersey, yeah. I think he was from Newark of all places, right? Like They they wanted to make him from the (laughs) the biggest shithole in New Jersey, right? I love it. And and I felt like a fish out of water out Mm -hmm. there because everyone in Washington State might as well have been from California because everyone there... I thought they were clowning me. When I first moved there and I met kids my age, yeah. yo, dude, they were like talking like this, but like for real, dude. Uh-huh. Like this is how they actually talk. And I thought they were mucking with me. Because I'm like, I thought, I'll tell you what, yeah. growing up in Jersey, mm-hmm. the only when you hear people like, yeah, dude, yeah, bro, talking like that, uh-huh. you think those people only exist in movies. But you don't think like those, those are not yeah. real people that talk like that. Mm-mm. Lo and behold... You know, in 92, when I started high school, my parents relocate to a place where everyone talked like that. And at that time, I had a super thick Jersey accent, which is still, which has since kind of calmed down a bit, right? But I used to talk like, you know, I'm from Jersey. 
And everyone there was like, must have been yo, dude, you, for you sound like one of those mafia guys. I never heard anyone who talks like you for real. Yeah. They thought I was from a movie, and I thought all, all, of, them, I thought all of them were from a movie. Like one of those mafia guys. Yeah, it was guys. crazy, man. But like at that time, 92, 93, yeah. all the Dr. Dre West Coast hip-hop shit got really, really big. That's right. And I mean, hey, who doesn't like the album The Chronic and all that kind of stuff? Man, mm-hmm. people are going to hate this podcast. It's all about hip hop. <laughs> I mean, who, who 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 doesn't like like, you know, that album is great, like mm-hmm. nothing like a G thing or whatever, but I was still like super East Coast hip hop. Yeah. And none of the skateboarding dudes out there really listened to East Coast hip hop. It was like it was me and like a handful of you other dudes who knew about it, right? Yeah. And it was also listed stuff like Das Effects and De La Soul and all other stuff like that, right? But then when Wu-Tang came, I was like, dude, this is like, it was like the savior because Mm -hmm. West Coast hip hop was kind of kicking ass for a while. And Mm -hmm. then Wu-Tang came out and it was like, yes, this is New York hip hop, right? Okay. And then so those albums came Mm -hmm. out, Method Man, Takao, ODB's album came out. All those like, a couple of the individual albums came out. Liquid Swords from the Jizza, which is still one of my favorites. And then came the the the, the Wu Tang album where again yes where the, another Wu Tang so the next album came together where they are like Wu Tang Wu Tang forever like Assemble. coming back like the Avengers right, right? Yeah. and then I remember like listening of course it was CDs at that time right I had like <laughs> I had a CD player in my car yeah. But, you know, because back then, like nowadays, everything's integrated in cars, right? But back mm-hmm. then, like people would steal your shit. So I remember I had like a CD player with like the face of the radio that would detach. Yeah. So when you left, you would take the face off. Yep. So I'm just like, you're, so, the, the thing would be useless, right? Oh, <laughs> it was like it. things back in the day, right? And then just listening to Triumph over and mm. over again, man. That dude, that like Inspector Deck oh. again, like his opening bars and that thing is like totally crazy. Deck. Yeah. Kills it every time. Kills it every time, man. I think he's one of the most underrated members of the Wu Tang clan. I mean, they're Could all, be. the thing is that they're all good. Yeah. You know what I mean? You God is good yeah. and he doesn't really get a lot of air, but he's golden on Inspector arms. Deck always came in first, too, for the most part. Yeah. Cause yeah, I think he was is... super strong with opening yeah. it, right? Remember opener. in Triumph, right? He was the opener. His, his yeah, yeah the, way, the, the triumph was sick, man. Like that that whole opening bit is like crazy. That, man. You know the violins are sick. The violins are sick, man. Yeah. Listen to this guy here. Yes. Socrates philosophies and hypotheses can't define why we dropping these mockeries. Lyrically perform armed robbery. Flee with the lottery. Possibly they spotted me. Battle scarred showgun. Explosion when my pen hits. Tremendous. Ultraviolet blind shine forensics. I inspect go. Fuck, I lost it. There you go. But thank you, man. It's been a while. My hip hop skills are rusty. Escalate it quickly. Yeah, you can only you can only be good at one skill. You're not allowed to be good at. All right, I'm a white guy who does kung fu. Right, I cannot be a white guy who's also good at hip hop. That's that's for like no, that's like that's vanilla ice status. That's that's Eminem status. It's Machine Gun Kelly status. Right. Hey, 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 what? Do not mention that name in my presence. I was totally joking. Well, you can't. That, no, you, you know can't. what I was thinking. Like MG, in terms, of, MGK can't be mentioned. No, you know what I was thinking in terms of like white like hip hop dudes like yeah. who it's just, it's Eminem man. Oh, clearly one hundred hands down. Machine Gun Kelly, get hands out of here down. with that. Do you remember when Machine Gun Kelly talked remember, shit about Eminem and then Eminem that, just killed him? That was short lived. That was yeah. amazing. Poor guy. Just looks so bad. He just looks so bad. Changed genres. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he went to rock. Yeah, that's right. And then he talked shit about Corey Taylor from Slipknot, and he buried him as well. Holy cow! All right, but anyway. Why all right, let's we, get into what, the first Why don't we get question. into some kung fu yeah, shit here? Right? Let's do this. Let's do this. I, apolo- right. I apologize for my hip hop to all, my, all the listeners out there. It's okay. We, we, we apologize. All right. We shouldn't apologize. That was awesome. Oh, all right, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Kung fu outsider. All right. It's like me. I'm like outside looking in. Yeah, maybe. 
You're out. You're definitely outside. I don't know about the looking in part. <laughs> I'd call that a stretch. Question: In the modern times, where you said we should be talking about single, double leg takedowns, and so forth, what do you think is the best approach for Wing Chun in all lineage lineages? Practitioners and teachers to do so, it would go along the modern time. Should Wing Chun be added with Shui Jiao? Shui Jiao. Shui Jiao. Shui Jiao. Your Mandarin's a little rusty. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Got to go I back think, and. Train. I, think, I think you just ordered some dumplings in Mandarin by accident. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which I always do. Right. Um, well, that, well, look, I mean, uh, that that's a great question. I mean, I, I, he's referencing the fact that, you know, I, I've mentioned previously on, on other episodes of the KFG that, like, mm-hmm. a lot of Wing Chun people are so obsessed about uh, how do you do Pak Da? How do you do this drill? The elbow has to be here. The, the hand has to be in this position. You have to stand this way. The weight distribution has to be like this. And, like, the conversations in Wing Chun are so um, incestuous about about Wing Chun itself yeah. and what the best way to do it is that they're forgetting that even if you listen to the folklore of Wing Chun, which I, I argued even recently that I don't believe like the facts of our origin story are correct. But if you take uh, the idea of what they're talking about, which is that mm-hmm. Wing Chun was designed to fight against other styles at that time, other types of Chinese Kung Fu, maybe Northern styles, maybe other types of Southern Kung Fu. Uh, but Wing Chun was designed to fight against other styles but Wing Chun has become a style that is seemingly obsessed with how to cheese out the shit out of another guy who also does cheese out. <laughs> he almost cheese out right? the shit out of and, you. And then, and then it's all about this kind of like uh, building the better cheese out widget. All right? touch hands. Yeah, this, this, these guys do cheese out this way, so now we have to... Uh, re-engineer our chi sao to be able to handle the type of chi sao that those guys are doing. Wow. And then so so what ends up happening is that no. the, the questions, the the thought experiments that Wing Chun Sifus have nowadays is how to be the best Wing Chun style among the other Wing Chun styles rather than to improve Wing Chun as a martial art that has general relevance for the martial arts world, they're kind of like they're most of the Wing Chun Sifus Ooh. are living in their own walled garden of their Wing Chun style, where they're in this beautiful garden back there with very high walls that they don't look as to what's going out there, except to occasionally peek over to see what the other Wing Chun people are doing and going, oh, this Sifu changes stance this way, so he's better at pushing. So we need to make sure we show this. Oh, wow. But they never look over the other side of the wall that's like, oh, these guys can punch, kick, and wrestle. Yeah. Maybe we should like make sure we're training against that. They're so obsessively um, determined to just be the better chi sao style. All right. And mm. Wing Chun, if, if we look at the lore, it's a style that's designed to fight against other styles. Yes, of course, in the training methods, you have Gao Sao, Lat Sao, certain Wing Chun versus Wing Chun ideas so that you can, with resistance, practice sparring against someone who's actually resisting you so you can improve your techniques. But you, I don't know, should maybe make sure that the person you're resisting mm-hmm. is also throwing stuff that's not Wing Chun at you. All right. So I, I recently saw like uh, a Wing Chun Sifu do a demonstration. And it looked really cool. But you look at the attacks that his student was throwing at him. And it's all his student continually attacked him with low elbow straight punch. 
Okay. Okay. Um, which All which right. I would even argue, even when you put two Wing Chun people together, they don't even attack wow. each other that cleanly, right? Oh, man. And so, of course, the guy steps out of distance in with a single low elbow punch or two low elbow punches. And you can do all sorts of cool looking stuff. First attack, packs out, this, that, this, whatever. You know what I mean? And then, of course, the guy steps in with that single low elbow punch and then stays there. And then you could, you know, rattle, prattle off this combination that looks dynamic. But then you go, yeah, but like you consistently defended three attacks against someone who just attacked you with a low elbow punch. Not even like a, a horizontal fist jab from distance that was posed, let alone done with speed or accuracy. Literally just someone coming at you with Wing Chun punches, which is like, this is never going to happen. I, I've always joked for many years. Man. I said, look, I wish my school in New York was so big that it was a statistical probability that you might encounter another Wing Chun person on the street. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is you probably won't. And no. really, when you watch two Wing Chun people really fight with each other, which is kind of rare, you also don't see them attacking each other with this clean low elbow or anything I'm, like that, right? So the problem is, all right, like... What are you preparing yourself against? All right. Um, in in Wing Chun, we have a lot of really ingenious techniques that were designed to fight against uh, uh, long arm styles and uh, things that get like Choi Lei Fud against the overhead swing punches and against round kicks and spin kicks and all these other kind of things that we don't do ourselves in Wing Chun, but you have to learn how to fight against it. Mm-hmm. But it just seems that the general conversation in Wing Chun is about where's your elbow supposed to be because of how it, that's going to interact with someone else who's also doing Chi Sao. I'm a huge Wing Chun nerd. Wing Chun versus Wing Chun, Chi Sao versus Chi Sao, Guo Sao, Lat Sao. These are all things that I'm completely fascinated with and I'm interested in. And I, and I like those things and I like training that stuff or whatever. But I also want to make sure that like if someone in the middle of an exchange goes for a takedown, my students aren't going like, uh, I don't know what that is, uh, but you're supposed to give me a Pak Sao from Chi Sao or something like that, right? <laughs> that they have a vocabulary and some experience to go, oh, okay, that's a tackle attempt. That's a takedown attempt. Oh, this person's trying to put me in a headlock. This person just trying to grab my arms in a frustrating way, which is not a Wing Chun technique, but those are the things that happen on the streets. So what I talked about is that the instructors need to teach the students how to deal with these type of attacks. I think where the questioner maybe got that confused Mm -hmm. is me saying you need to now mix grappling with Wing Chun. Mm-hmm. Or you need to do shuai jiao with Wing Chun or something What's like that. What's shuai jiao? Shuai jiao is basically Chinese wrestling. Uh, okay. But a th- uh, uh, focused on throws. Oh. And really cool stuff. They have some really nasty throws where they're basically dumping you on your head and all sorts of stuff, right? Like a loud um, all right. Yeah, yeah. So re- really, really cool stuff. But uh, and I don't have, and see, again, when I say that, I don't have a problem with people. If someone wants to mix Wing Chun and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or Wing Chun and wrestling and Wing Chun and shuai jiao, I don't care. I don't care, like, because their Wing Chun people get butt hurt. Like, oh, if you mix Wing Chun in boxing or you mix Wing Chun in wrestling, like, this person doesn't understand proper Wing Chun. I get those arguments, man. I used to be that guy many, many years ago. Anyone who wants to mix and adulterate their Wing Chun doesn't purely understand Wing Chun. They're not real Wing Chun. It's the no true Scotsman fallacy, all right? It's actually a logical <laughs> what? fallacy, right? What's this fallacy? Um, it, it, it's, it's to basically say that something is wrong uh-huh. because no purists of that style would believe that. But that is, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fallacious argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, it, because it is not arguing the facts of that thing. 
it is trying to attack the person who believes it, which is not a real argument, right? Because, because whether something is true or not is independent of the messenger who's delivering the story. Mm-hmm. All right. So Don't if someone says, messenger. yeah, exactly. But if someone says like, oh, I think Wing Chun should have wrestling in it. All right. Then instead of our, the, the proper thing to do would be like, all right, well, let's discuss the pros and cons of adding wrestling into Wing Chun. That would then be the argument that you're supposed to have. But what people have is say no real Wing Chun person would add wrestling into Wing Chun. That's their argument. That's not. It's a type of ad hominem attack. They're trying to attack the person personally to actually avoid discussing the true argument. Hmm. And so that's why the no true Scotsman thing or people who really understand Wing Chun wouldn't mix boxing. People who under, really understand Wing Chun wouldn't mix wrestling. OK, uh, I under, I was of that opinion, too. And I and again, and I'm saying this and I don't necessarily believe that the answer is to mix those styles with Wing Chun. But I'm still saying that that argument about no true Wing Chun person would do X is actually a fallacious argument. It is an example of the no true Scotsman fallacy or it can be used as an ad hominem attack. These are bullshit arguments, okay? These are just trying to avoid um, the idea that, yeah, if you're in a Wing Chun school and your Sifu is really good and your Sifu can demonstrate how to use it all the time, you have this confirmation bias of how badass your Sifu is, but you're forgetting that your Sifu is mostly defending themselves or demonstrating on their own students. Yeah. And so there's this idea that, like, look, my Sifu, like, people try to attack him all the time. He defends all this stuff, no problem. Yeah, his <laughs> own students. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and and you're losing the thread of uh, people from other styles are not going to attack your sifu the way your students do, and also if they do not necessarily have respect for your sifu, then they're not going to attack with that kind of half-ass fear that a lot of the students are attacking the sifu with, right? And so this idea that no true Wing Chun person would mix X Y Z. This is just, again, these are views from the walled garden of your style. Mm. You're so entrenched in it. There's a very high uh, a wall around it, and you don't really look much outside of that. Those are the arguments that come from people who have not seen much outside of their own style mm. And, mm. and believe in an almost cult-like way in their style. And I'm saying all this, and I love Wing Chun, and I believe in Wing Chun. All right, But I'm just saying that the attitude of most of these people is still wrong regardless. All right, They're, they're, they're just cultists um, by another name. All right. So uh, but I don't believe that like a Wing Chun person should just like randomly add Shui Jiao throws. Okay? okay, if it fits into the way you do Wing Chun. Okay, maybe um, that's different from saying, okay, maybe like your instructor should have some basic training in some throws and takedowns and trips and pins so that they know what those people are going to try to do to them. They learn some of the countermeasures and most importantly, they learn how to avoid it okay. because the first time someone tries to go for a takedown against you shouldn't be when you're in a street fight. You should have done that in training a bunch of times. So you're like, okay, I've been here before. I'm not going to freak out when it happens. I have an operating system for dealing with this because it's part of the regular training you're doing. That's different from saying like, I need to now be a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy with my Wing Chun. Hmm. All right. And and so that's usually where people miss what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, Like for example, in mixed martial arts, people who are, who don't come from a huge grappling background, they got a now. Of course, it's a more extreme example in mixed martial arts um, than it is, let's say, in self defense or traditional martial arts. But like the guy who's not really a grappler has to learn basic grappling, basic wrestling, basic submissions, and escapes from submissions, yeah. so that they can recognize those things when they happen. But they're still primarily going to be a striker who tries to avoid going to the ground, got as it. opposed to like okay, this kick, this world class kickboxer who's going into MMA learns some wrestling. 
and trains it in the gym and learns some submission stuff and trains it in the gym, is does it now need to suddenly become a submission artist? Yeah. All right. It's much better if you augment their strengths, i.e. the striking in a mixed martial arts context while addressing avoiding getting taken down by training those things. So that doesn't mean that the mixed martial artist guy, because they train wrestling um, two times a week with a wrestling coach, now suddenly needs to wrestle in the in the ring, especially if they're fighting someone who's a really good wrestler. That's not the tactic. All right. Okay. You don't want to be fighting people where they're really good. You want to be using your strengths against the opponent's weaknesses, right? So I think the answer is to give the students, especially your more senior students who have a foundation, some experience against other types of martial arts and some basic working knowledge of like this is how they're going to take you down and this is what they're going to do and this is what's going to happen so that you have seen it you have a basic operating system to train against it and you don't freak out when it happens for the first time mm. that's i think what's more important and people are still like in the question and i understand the question is coming from a it's a very good question but the but people still think the answer is mixing styles. And I'm telling you, no, the answer is to gain experience and to have an operating system against these things. Mm -hmm. It's not about mixing styles. Um, it's about creating something functional. Yeah. Not you, just you adding car parts. Mix operating systems on one laptop. Exa yeah, exactly. That would be, uh, <laughs> it would be disastrous. <laughs> like a, like a machine, like a machine gun Kelly rap. <laughs> all right. Okay. What do we got next? Oh no. Oh no. Hey Kung Fu Genius listeners, are you a fan of Wing Chun Kung Fu? Well, if you listen to me, I assume you are. I got great news for KFG fans. Right now, you can get an all-access, one-month free trial subscription to Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Yes, I said free. Go to WCINewsstand.com and register in the upper right-hand corner. Fill out your email and password and use the code KFGTRIAL to get your free trial to all the issues from 2011 to the current issue. That's right, all the issues. Even the one with this cool guy on the cover. That's me for those of you listening to us on audio. My Kung Fu Genius column is also in all the new issues as if you needed another reason to get this awesome magazine. Go get your free trial subscription today. For all that information, check out the description below. And now back to me. All right. So we have a uh, to be continued question. Oh, okay. From the last recording. I shouldn't oh, right. say last week's, but last right. recording. Right. TT. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. He's asking, what's your take on Adam Chan's theory regarding WTWC having more Hakka and less Cantonese origin, but lacking the intended shocking energy in the striking techniques? A's razor and all of that. Sorry if you already addressed this. <laughs> Kinda. And I missed it. And maybe you can use the Dryzen time machine to go check this out. Mm. That's a thing. You should should just get it's in. It's not it. a thing. You can get in it. Get anytime. Getting that time machine, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Great podcast. Keep up the good work, guys. Okay. Yes, I remember now. You asked me that. I was like, uh, Yo, Dre, we have like barely time for, time for another more. question, yeah. and then you drop that question, which <laughs> uh, is like, I don't have time yeah. to answer this in five minutes. True. 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 Um. So yeah. Uh, so the 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 Hakka. Uh, people are there's uh, they're a tribe of Chinese mm -hmm. traditionally from I believe from the north and they were nomadic which is actually why they're called Hakka Hak means guest and mm. Ga is like family or group right so they were like the the group of guests because they were always moving from place to place all right mm. so they, they were nomadic and it's it's been theorized um, uh, that uh, the 
Hakka people are essentially the people who brought the Fukienese martial arts to the Canton province. Because most of our quote-unquote southern martial arts, whether we're talking about Wing Chun or Hong Kun or, or um, Southern Mantis or White Eyebrow, any of these styles, they, they can trace a portion of their origin to the Fujian province, all right, or Fukin in Cantonese. <laughs> and um, that area is where the original white crane comes from. Now, we're not talking about the pecking crane like from... Uh, like the Tiger Crane movies, we're okay. talking about like traditional white crane, which when you look at the traditional white crane form, which is called Samtin, um, it uh, that form later went on to Okinawa, and that form is called Sanchin in Japanese. It's still part of a lot of the foundational Okinawan martial arts. Mm. So when you mm. see that Sanchin form, you see, oh, that is literally the foundational white crane form from, from Fujian, from, from Fukin. And um, so you can see that Okinawan karate has its roots in, or many of the styles have their roots in this one area of China. Mm -hmm. And then when you when you inspect a little bit further into the white crane, you will see that it is very clearly uh, a big part of the DNA of styles like Wing Chun and 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 styles like Southern Mantis and and uh, you you see movements in there and even sequences of movements where you go, wow, that that movement is. This is we do this like this in Wing Chun. You see, you you see all of this stuff, and you go very clearly. Um, Wing Chun has a huge part of its root from this uh, Fujian white crane, as does wow. Okinawan karate, which is kind of interesting because in Wing Chun, when we um, in the I'm talking about in the modern day, when we have someone who is interested in Wing Chun, and we tell them how is Wing Chun, or they ask like, how is Wing Chun different from like traditional martial arts, right? And we usually use karate as an example. We say, okay, for example, in traditional karate, if someone punches, you block first and then you counter punch, right? Now, obviously, for people who practice true Japanese or Okinawan karate, that's an oversimplification. I mean, it's just like when people go, oh, yeah, well, Wing Chun people just do X, Y, Z, and they're not Wing Chun people saying that. Mm. You go, well, actually, it's a, there's a lot more depth to it. Well... If we just say karate just blocks with one arm and then punches with the other from a chamber position, that's obviously a bit of a caricature and it's a bit of a simplification. And that's not to say hmm. that that is exactly how high level Wing Chun people are, or uh, karate people are going to do stuff. Got but it. it's the basic example because people kind of know, okay, block with one hand and then punch with the other one in two beats. One, two. And then we say, well, Wing Chun is different from that kind of style in that we use simultaneous offense and defense rather than blocking first and then punching. When your opponent attacks you, you're going to attack and defend at the same time uh, so that it's, in, in essence, one beat instead of two beats. Okay. All right? And the joke is that we often use karate as the counterexample to what we do in Wing Chun, and Wing Chun is the opposite. But the, the irony is... Okinawan karate and Wing Chun have the same ancestor. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So so it's funny that you know we, we can have the same ancestor, but when um, when the rubber hits the road in terms of like how do we actually uh, apply this stuff, it can still be quite divergent in terms of like how this thing is 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 applied. Right. So very clearly, Wing Chun has these Hakka martial arts in 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 the DNA. And even Sifu Langting talked about it in his uh, Wing Chun Kun book. And it's been theorized by some people in the past, like uh, Jim Rosalando, whether he still believes this, this or not, mm -hmm. that this white crane, this Fujianese white crane, uh, made its way to Western China. And then that it was infused with this more internal style called Ermei. And that fusion is what created Wing Chun. And this Hermes style is actually a very soft style. Mm -hmm. like, um, but you can see 
supposedly that there are elements that look very similar to things we do in Siunam Tao, right? And so Hakka martial arts in general have kind of a, uh, they're very explosive and sometimes they can even have a snap. And there's some Hakka styles that do it in a really hard way. Okay. Like Southern Mantis is an extremely hard style. I mean, like, it's it's like as hard as they come. I think harder than any Hongkun. Wow. It's explosive, but it's also extremely isometric. And you dabbled and in this, right? I did. I'll get to that in a okay. moment. And it's really hard. And then there are other styles of Hakka martial arts that are like like some strands of white crane that can flow a little bit more. And then like anything in Kung Fu, there's everything in between. You have like super hard style Zhao Ga Tong Long Mantis. And then you have like some styles of white crane that are actually quite soft and flowy. And then you have stuff that are soft and explosive and then hard and explosive, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you, it's just like everything else. Because what you start to realize after a while is that none of these styles are nearly as traditional as, as they're touted as. The, the style that's a little bit more soft, the style that's soft and explosive, hard and explosive, just hard, mm -hmm. something in between, those are usually based on the individual influences of the people who taught it. All right. The idea that wow. that these things are exactly the way they were three, four generations ago, where we have no proof of that. Martial arts are much more influenced, even traditional Chinese martial arts, as holy as some of their practitioners think these things are. There's so much there's so much influence that is from the people who taught it generation after generation that you could potentially have a really hard style of a Hakka martial art that you go back four generations. It could have been a little bit softer or vice versa. Right. So um, in general, Hakka styles have a tendency to to have the characteristic of being short explosive power. Like okay. what we talk about short force. Right. But it's their thing. Sometimes the generation, the way of generation is a little bit different than in Wing Chun. So Wing Chun in general tends to also want to be explosive, but we tend to want to flow a little bit more when we run into stuff. So there's some people that feel that Wing Chun doesn't have that same kind of. That, that what they call talk like that kind of explosive like like super explosive power mm. but again it, you cannot say that about every wing chun person because there's certainly some wing chun sifus that are very short and explosive in the way that they demonstrate stuff and there's some wing chun sifus that are more relaxed or whatever because these things are based on the individual wow. all right so so the problem is uh, i always have an issue with general broad statements about Hakka styles are this, Wing Chun styles are this, and this is the difference or whatever, because who's Wing Chun style? Who's expression of Wing Chun? And, 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 and where's this information coming from? It's coming from the specific Hakka style you trained versus the specific Wing Chun styles you have seen. So it's all confirmation bias. You're just assuming this, all right? Uh, that's why it, it, I, I think it's very dangerous to actually make assumptions about the, the development of Hakka versus Wing Chun and why these things are like that. Anyway, uh, what I meant, what I wanted to say earlier is the question was always, how did these, because Fujian is the province next to the Guangdong province where, you know, Hong Kong and Fatsan, these are, the question was always, how did the, how did these Fujianese martial arts make it to Canton? And the link seems to be from these nomadic Hakka people who had their own, uh, tribal martial yeah, arts, I and see. they went in there, and then they 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 picked up this white crane, okay, and then they brought that into Guangdong. Wow! All right, so it seems that the Hakka people are in fact the link for bringing Fujianese martial arts 
uh, into uh, Guangdong. That's not, not my theory. That's from Tiu Sek Heng, and uh, who's a, oh, uh, a, a martial arts researcher in in Hong Kong, right? Yeah. And he's written some really great books about Hong Kong, but also about Hakka martial arts as well. Really fascinating stuff. And um, I know that, um, for example, uh, Sifu Wan Gamleung, who was one of Wong Zhenleung's students, he created uh, Satyong Wing Chun, Practical Wing Chun. And in the late 70s, he actually trained in Southern Mantis, Zhao Ga Tong Long. And it's been theorized by some people that part of the reason that his Wing Chun is very powerful mm-hmm. is because of this Southern Mantis exp- uh, training that he had in the late 70s. Um, and uh, I decided in 2015 to actually train in uh, Southern Mantis, in Zhao Ga Tonglong, with yeah. uh, one of the best Sifus in Hong Kong, in my opinion, on that style, which is a Sifu uh, Lei Tinloi. Lei Tinloi. And um, I, I trained with him for a few weeks yeah. uh, while I was on a trip to Hong Kong. Uh, my wife at that time was actually in Australia, and I was just in Hong Kong with uh, my student, Ethan. Yeah. And uh, during at nighttime, I would do like two hours of private lessons with Sifu Lei Tinloi and then do his group class afterwards. And I trained for two weeks, but I, I logged in a number of hours in those two weeks. Now, I Damn. will never, I don't mention to people that I do it because, I mean, I uh, I have two weeks of training, right? There are people who come into City Wing Chun, <laughs> have three minutes of online training of Wing Chun and want uh-huh. to tell you how much Wing Chun they know, right? <laughs> I trained for two weeks super intensely. I learned the first form. I learned the Chai Sao. I learned a lot of the basics. Uh-huh. And according to Sifu Lei Tin Lo, I was not the lousiest student he ever had. Okay. And, um... Uh, I really learned a lot. And Man. the training was, I have to say, of all the training I've ever had, it was the most intense training I've had in my entire life. Would you life. go back? Um, I would. But yeah. the problem is I usually don't have time when I go back to Hong Kong because I don't like to half-ass stuff. I like mm-hmm. to full-ass stuff. Um, full-ass. And, and that trip, I had the chance to really immerse myself in it for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But I would never, ever dare claim that I'm... Well, certainly not an expert, but I wouldn't even say that I'm a beginner in it because that would be very disrespectful to the people who actually train that style day in and day out. But I have to say that it was really eye-opening because uh, Siva Leighton Loy um, was one of the most serious Kung Fu instructors I've ever trained under Mm. um, and one of the most powerful. Um, I, I, I mean, I've, I've trained with some of the best in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know that. Uh, I've, I've trained with all sorts of different people of different styles. I don't think I've ever trained... I don't think I've ever met anyone who was pound for pound stronger than Sifu Lee Tin Loi. And he's a tiny bit shorter than me, and he's skinny. Hmm. But when he puts his hands on you, you <laughs> feel like a child. Oh, like if, wow. he, if he grips your wrist yeah. just with three fingers yeah. and he squeezes, I mean, he, it, it's like he's, just, he, it's like yeah. he's squeezing a, a, a tube of uh, toothpaste. <laughs> All right, you just, feel, you just feel like everything is just squeezing out of your hand. He's so... <laughs> Strong and so serious. And the training was so severe. Um, I I lost so much weight during that. You can ask Ethan. I was skin and bones. You were like Ethan after. The training was so severe. It was so painful. And he did everything in his power to dissuade me from learning from him. Because he was like, you are a Wing Chun Sifu. I do not want to teach people from another style. I said, yeah, I just want to learn this style because I'm very interested in it. And I think he, he was a little skeptical. Mm-hmm. So he put me through some really severe training. Some straight out and, of the No, straight out of flicks. Shaw Brothers movie yeah. stuff, right? And I kept coming back like a psycho. <laughs> and, uh, and then at some point, he even like scolded some of his students saying like, Alex has been here for two weeks and he's already mm-hmm. learned this and this and this. And look, you know, look at how hard he's training and blah, 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 blah. And then so he used me to like scold his own <laughs> this, students. I'm like, this Great, white thanks. boy here. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and then, I love you know, it. 
and then there I am. This I'm like, Westerner. I'm like the guy that, and of course, all the students are looking at me with darting eyes after that, right? I'm like, oh, it's a good thing I'm leaving <laughs> yeah. in a week, right? Yeah. Um, but it was great. Uh, the training was really fantastic, and I enjoyed it. And it actually gave me some insight into explosive power, mm-hmm. how to generate it, low elbow power, and structure. And I've used some of those ideas to improve the way I present Wing Chun. But I would not say I'm mixing Southern Mantis with Wing Chun. Mm. Just like Mm. I wouldn't mix the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu I've trained with Wing Chun. I would use that. I would present that to my students so they could learn how to defend it. So some of the training methods and the things that I learned from Siva Lee Tin Loy um, have enhanced the way I explain power generation in Wing Chun and how I explain certain aspects, right? But uh, I wouldn't say that Wing Chun lost this or, or whatever because it's so individual, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there are uh, other ways to generate power than the way the, the Hakka styles do it, all right? There's not only one way to do it. So some Wing Chun people may use a different theory or different idea behind it, right? So uh, there's always this kind of right-wrong attitude in in Chinese martial arts when something older is presented because it's always assumed that the older thing is always better okay and um, and I'll say like the southern mantis guys that I train with those guys can fight and they're super powerful but I wouldn't say that um, the fighting training is as dynamic as what we do in Wing Chun it's still very specific in the way they train with each other. All right. And, and you know, it's not like Sifali Tin Loy on Wednesday night would say, all right, guys, now we're going to focus on defending a double leg takedown. Yeah. You know what I okay. mean? It's like we're going to do the drills again and again and again and again and again. And they're really, really good at that. So the question is, like, even if you had all this amazing explosive power from training this hyper-specific Kung Fu style, martial arts is always contextual. Yeah. Okay. Just any physical exercise, any physical training you do is contextual. The thing that you, and this is what people don't understand when it comes to the transferability of skills. The thing that you are training is the thing you are getting good at and nothing else. <laughs> there's, there's always this idea right. that I'm, I'm training this really, let, let's just say, explosive power, whether it's coming from Hakka or this or internal this or whatever. And like, I can shatter this. I can launch people back. I can push people. People can touch my arm and I can jolt them and they can go flying back. And you train this and you're really, really, really good at it. There's an assumption by most Chinese martial arts people that that awesome skill you can demonstrate is immediately transferable to a fighting situation if someone just takes a swing at you or tries to punch you. And I'm going to tell you it's not. Because the, the more impressive the demonstration of power is, in my experience, in Chinese Kung Fu, the more specific the demonstration was. Mm, the, okay, mm. I want you to stand here. I want you to put your hand on my elbow. Okay, now try to push me over or try to push me off of this thing or try to move me back. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the person who does it can't do it. And then they end up getting pushed. And it's like, wow, I can't move this guy, right? And, and it's very impressive to the people who are watching and even to the person who's doing it because they're really trying to push this guy. They can't do it, and then they end up getting pushed. But what they don't realize is, dude, the guy told you exactly where to push him. Right. The guy told you how, what stance, where to start, and how to go. And even if they do it in a more free way, the, 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 the cards are stacked against them. The deck is stacked against them because they're still making them engage with them in a way where they somewhat control the outcomes. And that's why they look and can apply these things so much better than they would if, as if that guy who is now going to try to test them 
doesn't give a shit who they are. Uh-huh. And when people are impressed at like these seminars where people come and oh, they try to move the instructor or push the instructor or whatever, and they can't do it, and they end up getting pushed. I go, right. yeah, oh, they couldn't knock over the guy that they just paid two hundred bucks to to go to the seminar. You understand <laughs> that when if you pay a bunch of money to come to my seminar. Even if you are like a real truth seeker, there's going to be a certain aspect of you that's also respectful because I'm the instructor that you're paying for. Yeah. Right? And you probably went out of your way to come to my seminar and went out of your way to learn from me. So you're not necessarily going to like try to push me and then give me a low kick, punch me in the balls and take me down. You're going to like a good, you're like a good boy. You're going to push me on this part of my wrist that I told you to push me. And then I'm going to show you how you can't do shit. Even though I'm literally the one telling you exactly what you're allowed to do. And so I find that when people get really impressed with these demonstrations of power, mm-hmm. how someone knocks someone down and knocks someone back. Every time I talk shit about Dimmak, I get in the comments, tons of people sending me videos like, but this guy is the real deal. And then showing me some video of someone, you know, holding a telephone book on their chest and the other guy in a very relaxed way hits him and that guy goes flying. Right. I go, that dude is no doubt powerful because he can do this relaxed power thing and generally make the other guy go back. But the guy he's doing it on is holding a phone book, yeah, standing still. Phone book attacker. Right? So, yeah. well, no, he's just stationary, yeah. to be honest. Oh, Jay. So, so the problem is the thing that you train is the thing that you get good at. If I practice hitting a stationary target, a wall bag, a makiwara, someone with a telephone book on their chest... Mm. And I learn how to relax my power and how to generate power from the waist, power from the ground, chi, intention, mindfulness, mind force, whatever the hell people want to call it. And you do this again and again and again. You are going to get good results because the brain, when it comes to movement, naturally finds the most efficient way to do something that you do again and again and again and again. That's why if you want to get good at something, the secret is reps. Mm -hmm. So you get really, really good at this thing and now you can really relax your arm. Your arm is really super heavy. You can transform your mind intention, chi, chakra, whatever, into this phone book. Make the guy go back. Make him feel this. Make him feel like he's falling apart and, (laughs) and, and have that be really believable and that skill be really polished and powerful. And I'm going to tell you, Dre, you take that same guy with that amazing hammer fist on the phone book. Oh, man. And you just put some dude from 125th Street, <laughs> all right, who <laughs> oh, grew up yeah. beating up dudes, knows no martial arts. Right. And you just put that guy in front of him. From my block. And I'm, yeah, from yeah. your block. And I say, okay, dude from Harlem, uh-huh. all right, punch the shit out of that guy. He's got a really powerful. He wouldn't give like, How he, much you want? Yeah. How much you going to give me for exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. But none of that, that is that skill. Yeah of hitting someone who's not moving uh, through the phone book and knocking them back in the most impressive way isn't going to mean that you know how to stop that guy's punch. Mm-hmm. You know how to stop that guy's surge when he just runs at you and goons you with no specific attack. He just runs at you and goons you. Yeah. Okay? Because that is self-defense. That is fight. And if you're not training that, then your awesome, explosive, cool power demonstration doesn't necessarily equate to a transferable skill in that moment. So you need to learn those skills, all right? And then you need to learn how to apply those skills in an actual exchange the way it would be done, all right? Because I don't care if it's chi sao and the other guy's even trying to really resist you. It's still fixed on, it's a chi sao platform that we're doing it from or a push hands platform or, okay, we're going to move and do spinning hands or do this or whatever. And then look, look, I can now move you or whatever, because you're still somehow determining 
the rules of engagement, which mm-hmm. is not the case in fight. The guy, the guy in the street has, doesn't have to even touch your arms. He can just grab you, hold on to you, grab you by the neck. What like so? So I'm all for learning these things. These things are part of kung fu. We also do chi sao. We also do all these kind of things. But without this link to how violence actually looks like in the street, mm-hmm. you're just doing a highly specialized show. Damn. All right. Damn. Okay. Like people Damn. get super excited. Uh, you know, I stand here with my Let's arm like this, show. and someone tries to push my arm, and I can stand there and Showtime. push all that force into the ground. Yeah. And then, of course, I know all these tricks. Like I go and bong sao, and I go, okay, push my bong sao, right? <laughs> and then they push and push and push, and I can stand up totally straight. Can't and then move of course, me, bro. And then, of course, what do I do? I shift onto one leg. They keep pushing. They can't knock me over. And then what do I do next? I stand on one leg. Uh-huh. Keep pushing, keep pushing. And they're pushing, 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 pushing. And I'm standing on one leg, right? And then you do this whole thing on, a, a, strong on, a, bong on a scale. Yeah. All right? <laughs> and then you can see the weight go up. And then you say, well, this is the power of my rooting. This is the power of this. I'll tell you what. Yeah. This is a trick. I can teach this trick to most people. Well, if people have done some Wing Chun and they have some skills. You can teach it to your daughters. I could teach it in about 10 minutes. Yeah. All right. Oh, man. If someone doesn't have any skills, I maybe need 15 to <laughs> teach it. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, but the thing is, if someone, if you stand in front of someone and you, you give them your arm and you tell them, push my arm. Okay. Already mm-hmm. you're telling them what to do. Push my arm. I've never seen someone go up to someone on the street and try to push someone's arm. Mm. And if you look at most Wing Chun styles and you look at most internal styles or whatever, what they're, they're training with, the way they contextualize Chi Sao and the way they contextualize pushing hands, you would assume that these are all styles that are s- super concerned with their arms getting pushed on the street. Okay. Instead of someone just trying to punch them in the face or grab their arms and then punch them in the face or grab their arms and then tackle them. It's like, no, the, the, these guys are the experts, the world champions of someone trying to push my arms. Mm. And how to, how to solve that, all right? And and so I stand there. I, I put out a tan sao or a bong sao. I tell some unsuspecting rube, go ahead and put your f- hand on my forearm and now push my arm and try to knock me over. First of all, I've already told the person so what they need to do. So unsuspecting rube, rubish. Yeah, I've already told the person what to do. Yeah. Which means whatever I'm going to demonstrate is something that I'm prepared for. <laughs> this is not go ahead. This is not Fight Club, and I go go ahead and hit me as hard as you can. Oh, this man. is go ahead and touch my arm as hard as you want. But I'm the one telling them what to do. That's the joke. And they push the arm, push the arm, push the arm. Cannot knock me over. Then I shift all my weight on one leg. Oh, you really got me now. Push, push. They yeah. can't move me over. Then I stand on one leg. Uh, they can't push me over. Then you look at the scale. All the weight is going up. Can't push me over. Okay, and now. I tell that same student, attack me any way you want. And that student just, boom, takes a swing and punches me right in the face. Okay? All right? Oh, and no. so this is the state of Wing Chun nowadays. Yes. This, this extreme focus on the pushing my arms, bro, and the rooting and the stabilization and all this kind of stuff where it's like, you need movement in fighting. Mm. You, need okay. to, you need to not fetishize standing in one place against someone who's trying to murder your face with their fist. Damn, damn. You want to move and cut angles and use footwork and evasiveness. And yeah, of course, you want to be stable within the movement, but you don't want to be stationary. And no. Wing Chun people already have a problem being too stationary. Like a stationary store. Yeah, exactly. The last thing <laughs> we need... notebooks. The last thing we need in, in, in a style that too many Wing Chun practitioners are stationary, in my opinion, when they fight other martial arts just standing there in the jong cell like a deer in the headlights. They're too stationary to begin with. The last thing we need to do is now by all this rooting and all this kind of stuff is now fetishize 
standing in one place. All right, this is man. in my this is going in the wrong direction, man. Move. All right, a train is coming at you. Move out of the way. A dude is trying to murder your face with their fist. Move. Whether that means you hit them first because you close the gap or you move somewhat laterally, move. Don't stand there and try to root that into the ground, bro. All right? You're going to be in for a surprise when the guy in the street is not going to push you with his palm on your tansel and your scale to impress him how the weight goes up isn't there either. So anyway, what else we got? Oh, my goodness. Love this podcast. Um, Next up. We got Kevin Kimball. All right. All right. Kevin Kimball says he loves the podcast. That's great. Okay. Always waiting. (laughs) Just one person does. All right. Always waiting on Monday for the latest episode and annoyed with the days I have to wait for Wednesday. Mm. I guess he's a Patreon guy. He has to wait. Or I don't no. get it. Or pa- maybe he has a schedule wait. where he doesn't get to watch uh, right. it. Right, where he doesn't get to watch it on Monday. He's got to work. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Work, he's like he's like in, maybe people. he's in an embalmer at a, at a, <laughs> at a funeral home, right? He's in a firehouse or yeah. something. Um, yeah, but uh, no, actually, our Patreons mm-hmm. uh, get they, it earlier. They get it early. True, true, so true. the episodes, unless we're doing a live, um, but mm-hmm. if we have a regularly pre-recorded episode, they get it. Patreons, even at the lowest level, like if you just are just paying five bucks a month. You get the episode on, fri- on the Friday before crackhead prices. Um, you're getting the episode on Friday before the episode comes out. I wouldn't. And if you're at like higher levels, if you if you uh, if you we have like the baller level, which is uh-huh. the highest level. Those guys get a private episode, KFG episode with me, and that only goes to the Patreons. So like, if they're in New York, they can come in here and do it. And if not, we do it over Zoom. And literally, they, they don't—they're not even like Dre for a day reading no, questions. They just do some. They, no, they just get to talk with me. Uh, they get their own private episode. They right, get to ask dope. you to ten, ten, ten. Yeah, it's great. And and, and so we have other things. And I have some like uh, specific content which we give just to our Patreon supporters, mm-hmm. and uh, including stuff like uh, the um, translation of the Yip Man interviews and stuff. I did a, I did an audio Such version a of the one. English translation of the um, New Martial Hero interviews with yeah. Yip Man and stuff. And that stuff is on there. And then, you know, I mean, if you guys want to support this podcast, yeah, five bucks Feel a month. Free. Five bucks a month, you get episodes yeah. early. And don't worry about if you don't want to pay more or whatever. At least at five bucks, you're helping us. All right. And uh, um, what's that? Uh, half a s- cup of coffee a day? Yeah, I know. Maybe, here maybe a York? quarter of a cup. Yeah. If you're here in New York, it was like eight <laughs> bucks for a cup of coffee now. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. It's like half the price of a gallon of gas. Question yeah. for the KFG. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned training in different styles over the years for a better understanding of challenges they present. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the principles of Wing Chun are useful in cross-training other styles? While rolling, have you found Chi Sao to people useful while fighting hands controlling position? Ever feel like you have a better understanding of fighting for center line while doing other styles due to your experience. Thank you for providing the most informative Kung Fu podcast on Spotify. Wow, that's that, that means a lot, although there are not too many Kung Fu podcasts on Spotify. <laughs> it's only one or two. A couple, right? It's not okay. too many. Okay. Um, that, that's a great question. Um, super important. Um, you know, when, when we talk about this, um, I think, again, very similar to like... Uh, what I was talking about, you know, are we going to mix different uh, styles with Wing Chun? Are we going to add uh, Shui Tiao or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or wrestling or whatever? 
the question always comes to like when I train in other martial arts, like whether it's uh, I'm training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with uh, with Magno or with the Valenti brothers, or doing boxing or kickboxing or something else. You know, how does my Wing Chun training relate to you know training in those other styles, right? And I'm gonna say it doesn't. All right, and this is very mind blowing for people, I think, because. People are always assuming that you're trying to always win or show what you know, all right? I'm going to tell you something you might not know, Dre. All uh-huh. right? When I train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with Magno, you know what I do? I train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with Magno. I don't go, well, actually, in Wing Chun, I would do this. Or, like, apply my Wing Chun ideas when I'm trying to, like, he's literally trying to teach me Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And then I'm going to be like... Oh, that's fine, but actually I just want to chain punch right here or do an elbow or do a, a, a fox out or something like that, right? I think that, that that's one, from a martial arts instructor perspective, I think that's brutally disrespectful. And two, I'm not there to do my Wing Chun in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school. I'm there to learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because if I'm overly concerned with, okay, I'm going to use my cheese out to avoid the guy getting grips on me, or I'm going to use this idea of the center line, or I'm going to use this idea here, then all the time I'm doing that is time that I'm not learning what he has to teach me. Yeah. Because ultimately, I want my students to learn how to fight against this stuff. And I need to understand the mindset of people who do those arts. And the quickest way to not understand that mindset is for me to go, okay, I'm here in your class, I get it, but I'm just still going to do my Wing Chun stuff. One, it's disrespectful. Two, it's the worst way to learn something because everything the instructor teaches you, you're forcing it through the filter of your Wing Chun training. Right. And that means that you're not actually listening to what the person is trying to give you, right? And it's funny because Wing Chun people are usually so quick to talk about um, if you come from another martial art, you need to empty your cup. All right. right. Like they, every like that is like it's almost like the bee water of Zen parables. Right. <laughs> it's so overly done. Right. It's always like, uh, oh, if someone comes from another martial arts school to your Wing Chun school, they need to learn to empty their cup so that they can taste your tea and, and learn what you have to learn. Like you have to get rid of what you learned before so you can learn something. Everyone talks about that. But oddly enough, when people ask me about my training in other martial arts, they're always like, so how do you use your Wing Chun in those styles? And they say it almost unironically and unsarcastically. And I go, let me guess. If someone comes to your Wing Chun school, they're expected to empty their cup so they can learn your Sifu style or your style of Wing Chun, especially if they've done other martial arts before. But if the Wing Chun Sifu wants to learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, he needs to go in there and figure out how to make his Wing Chun work in the Brazilian jiu No, I'm learning Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu when I train with those guys. When I'm doing boxing... I'm not going like, oh, yeah, this this jab idea is very similar to something we do in Wing Chun. No, I'm there to learn. And the way to not learn is to constantly go to be the yeah, but guy. Yeah, and I can also do this. Yeah, this is similar to what I do. You got to shut that shit off. I mean, well, do you want, I mean, a question for you, I guess, because I often hear about you talking about going to other schools and learning other people's styles. Yeah, I really had anyone from like, like top level people come and learn from you. All the time. Uh-huh. All the time. But they come with the same attitude that I expect when uh, I go and learn somewhere else, right? I've had high-level black belts come and learn from me uh, in various martial arts, high-level Chinese martial art practitioners as well. And um, the high-level guys all seem to kind of have the same attitude, which is that 
I'm here to learn the thing you're going to teach me. I'm going to quote unquote empty my cup, right? And so I think the problem is that people always feel like they need to justify what they're doing. So if I believe in Wing Chun, then I can't just roll with my BJJ friends if I'm not doing Wing Chun style BJJ rolling. Wing Chun style BJJ. Yeah, it's ridiculous, right? Um, so it's uh, like, no, because the best way for me to present the information to my students, okay, this is what a Brazilian jiu-jitsu person is going to do to you if they have you in the guard. The best way for me to learn that is to embrace what they're teaching me rather than going, this is what my Wing Chun brain understands of the guard in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. Okay? Mm. So I just find it's like, yeah, you can have those thoughts afterwards or you can start to do those things when you train it on your own with your own students or your training partner. Yeah. But if you're going to learn something or spar in another school or do their thing, you then do one, be, be respectful and uh -huh. do the thing that they want you to do. And to try to learn that thing as best as you can and stop putting all these, uh, I got to filter this through my Wing Chun experience. You need to be able to turn that off if you really want to taste someone else's cup of tea. Mm, it's not just when okay. they're coming to us. It's also when we're going to them. Cool. What else you got, man? Okay. Next up, we got Jihad Battle. Oh, right. Okay. I believe he's a grand student of yours because he right. says, hello, Seagung. That's what's up. Okay. Yeah, it's our boy Troy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see now. This is a very entertaining episode. I don't know which one he's talking about yet. We never know which one. What a way to kickstart this 10 questions series. Oh, oh, so it must be after the Frank Jang one. 10 yes. questions. When Mr. Jang mentioned Fist of Fury, Chinese connection, I remember... My four-year-old self walking out of the theater, very afraid of Bruce Lee, when he slammed that rickshaw into the wall with the man in the carriage. Yeah, which is like the fakest scene in the whole movie. Because <laughs> it's very clearly like there's like a puppet in there and he's, yeah. there are wires helping him hold it up, right? Right, right. Nothing like the Cato I saw beating up on Robin, LOL. Right. Because of my Chinese zodiac sign... I'm going to have to purchase Mad Monkey Kung Fu. There are a couple of more movies I want to get based on the conversation you and Mr. Jang had. Mm. If I can choose, I'd say try to interview Sifu Vincent Lin and Sifu David Peterson again. Mm -hmm. Cynthia Rothrock, Dr. Kenneth J., to name a few. Your interviews are really fantastic. I love doing those interviews. Like I said... Many times people, they just don't tune in, right? They just want me to talk shit with you. I guess that's the formula, right? Cynthia. But that, well, that's the reason why I created that 10 questions format. So we've ah. done one Frank Ch with Frank Chang. So it will not interfere with the Sacred Monday podcast where ah. I'm just either answering questions or talking about IP Man or Bruce Lee or whatever, mm -hmm. right? So that's why when I have an interview, it's yeah. going to be 10 questions, you know, the Kung Fu Genius 10 questions with... Whoever, so right? So God, and uh, those will probably be closer to like half an hour, and those will come out. Let's say, uh, and then it's not going to be every Thursday. When they do come out, all right, it'll be like on a Thursday, so that the Monday podcast slot remains sacred. All right, um, <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. And and so yeah, well, I did Vincent Lynn not too long ago, right? So um, it'll probably be a little while before I have him again. Um, Doctor Ken J. Did you have ten questions? No, it was because the 10 question format was with Frank. Yet. Okay. Yeah, and he was the only one so far that I've done so that with, right? Far, so gotcha. I want to do more, and especially now that I'm like, okay, I, I will make it like come out on an alternate day, right? Would love to do Kenneth J again. Yeah. Um, we did a couple of videos where we reviewed uh, those montages from different really movies. Really cool stuff, yeah. yeah. 
and uh, he's great. But uh, again, like our podcast listeners seem to be hyper specialize in either Wing Chun or Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. And even though they're Kung Fu people, like when I talk about Kung Fu movies, it's seem I seem to lose the thread with some people in, mm. our, in our in our audience. And I guarantee you, no one is listening to us right now because we lost them all with the hip hop stuff that we talked about at the beginning <laughs> of this episode. They oh, probably no. no one stuck for oh, stuck no. for this one here, right? Don. So uh yeah, would love to have those guys on there would love I would to love to see the RZA. Here, I would love to see the reason too. Ten so questions before the uh, pandemic of unknown origins hit. <laughs> right. Um, I was actually working on doing something potentially where the RZA could have been involved, um, but it hadn't got to that point yet. Um, because I know, I know, I know people who you know who a couple can, of people. I know people who could get me in touch with mm-hmm. the RZA. Nice. And I was trying to get my uh, my friend Law Mong, who's the toad from Five Deadly Venoms. Yeah. Who, who, by the way, is actually RZA's favorite Venom. I was trying to get him to come here to New York. Got and it. we would actually have a showing of the Five Venoms. Wow. And uh, I can't see. I mean, it, it ended up not being because then the virus hit. <laughs> and then yeah. everything kind of, I mean, maybe at some point in the future, but I don't know. But we were actually planning on having a showing of mm-hmm. the Five Venoms. At the Apollo Theater, with Lomong, hosted by the RZA. So we were we were actually we actually already contacted the Apollo Theater and found out how much it costs to get okay. it. And then I was talking to my boy Lomong for his prices and everything. Yeah. And then the third part was then to get the RZA there to host it. And then the virus of unknown origin. So we never got to that step. And so that was that, that then kind of killed that whole thing. So, I mean, I could still do it now, but I'm. What? I'm I'm three years. That that pandemic aged me eighty years, man. So I'm like, oh god. <laughs> oh no. I don't know, man. Oh, I don't know, no. man. So uh, yeah. All right. Well, Cynthia Rothrock. I would Rothrock. love to have Cynthia Rothrock. Here. Yeah. Cynthia Rothrock's been here at City Wing Chun. Yeah. I would love to have her on so the podcast. I hear. So it would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Next up, we got Atherin Thompson. Okay. Richard Dawson. Oh, what? Uh, <laughs> Doctor Eisen came from the Richard Dawson School of Medicine. Yeah. Oh, by the way, another Wu Tang lyric. I'm causing more family feuds like, than Richard Dawson. Dawson yes. And the survey says you're dead. Fatal fire guillotines chops off your effing head. That's RZA? Yeah, that's RZA. Wow. Yeah. Well, Richard Dawson, yeah. we managed to make a Wu-Tang <laughs> reference with that as well. Right? And also the second Richard Dawson reference we've made on this Incredible. podcast. Let, let it be, I mean, people should understand how timely the Kung Fu Genius podcast, so, making Richard Dawson Do we references. have to explain who the Richard Dawson? Who no, who we don't have to. Love. If you don't know who Richard Dawson is, okay. look it up. Yeah, well, watch he, The Running Man. Yeah. yeah or true, true. Family Feud back in the day. Okay. Yeah, but The Running Man's better. No, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we got Dennis DeGroote. All right. All right. Another great podcast, KFG and team. Question. The great Rickson Gracie has his invisible jujitsu theory. Is there in line with his philosophy, in your opinion, also... An invisible Wing Chun. That's Love great. to hear your take on this. Thanks. That's great. I'm a little out of touch with the Hicks and Gracie theory. I believe the idea what is, is that, that if you um, if you have proper technique, mm-hmm. okay, then the technique is going to work much more powerfully in a way where you're using leverage and technique mm-hmm. rather than using raw strength. So it's going to feel to your opponent like you almost like you have some kind of superpower or something else is going on that 
that they can't see. Like, for example, if you uh, go for um, overhooks, right? If you lift your partner's arms up this way here, they cannot pull their arms out, right? So by using this technique, they feel almost like you're, you just have so much more power than you do because you're using leverage and good technique. Whereas if you're kind of lazy about it and you keep your arms low, they can maybe slide their arms out and then oh. they're free, right? So I believe that that's what it is. Although, I mean, I'm the Kung Fu genius. I'm not the Hicks and Gracie invisible jujitsu theorist genius. Um, I believe that it has something to do with that. When your technique is so polished and focused on leverage and angles and doing things in, in the correct way, you appear or feel much more powerful to the person mm. that you are fighting or training with or whatever. And I think, yeah, sure. I mean, this seems like what would be a very natural progression through any martial art as the as you become more skillful and adept at applying those things under pressure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but I, again, I, I, I feel a little weird talking about that because I, I might also be completely misrepresenting his God. invisible. It, it might be something totally different. And then I'm just coming off like an ignoranus. <laughs> wow. So anyway. OK. What else you got? Ignoranus. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next up, we got Byron Medina. All right. KFG and the gang. Fun episode and agree it is actually comical how these so-called martial artists get their nipples twisted on kung fu humor. Nipples Parodies <laughs> or just not taking themselves seriously. Ha ha. With the wink. Ha. That's for the listeners. I, I got it. There you go. Right? Questions on the subject KFG. I think you got a two-parter or three-parter coming up. A.K.A. Kung Pao. If you could blue screen yourself in any kung fu movie, which one would it be and why? And not necessarily would you do it for a parody or comical. Do you want the second one uh, yet? If or I could you... blue screen myself into yeah. an existing kung fu movie. Mm, uh, if you can blue screen yourself into any kung fu movie, which one and which one would it be and why? Oh, I would be an Enter the Dragon for sure. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I would love to be one of Han's men in the geese, but I'm actually secretly working for Bruce. And then when they have that melee there, I'm like walking, and when the other guy in the white geek, I'm like, I kick him, and then I just keep walking. What? Just sniping dudes, because they don't, they don't think I'm good. I'm, they think I'm one of them. Okay. And just sniping dudes left and right. Yeah. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Okay. Two. It w I would venture to say you have seen the Fistful of Yen, segment featured in the Serenese parody Kentucky Fried Kentucky movie. Fried movie. Yes, of course. Did you find it hilarious? I thought that was crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's wildly inappropriate for 2022 standards. Yeah. First of all, it came out in the 70s. Right. Most things blazing saddles, things that came out in that period are, you know, would be contraband nowadays. Yeah. Um uh yeah, it's like it's it's, it's basically yeah, it's a it's a Enter you the saw Dragon. It for the first time when you were like four years old, right? No, no, no. I saw that maybe when I was ten or something like that Still. for the first time, right? Still. And it's just super. I mean, I mean, it's a kind of like yeah, it, it's like I think the Zucker brothers. It's the guys who like did Airplane. It's like the spaceballs in them. I, no, no, that, that no, that's that's, uh, that's Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks. Um, it, it's it, it's that kind of slapstick kind of humor, yeah. kind of, but it's very much of its time. They were talking, like, at that time, maybe there was, like, the oil shortage in the uh, 70s. And I think one of the opening things is, like, that they were looking for alternate sources for oil um, because they're an oil. And one of the sources for oil was from the combs of French people. 
what? <laughs> <laughs> and they had, like all these combs going down like these conveyor belt was just dripping all this grease like so it's like wildly oh, inappropriate yes. humor yes. for the time this is like nudity and yes. all sorts of stuff Catholic oh, high school girls in trouble is a I've is seen a it when one. I was really little but yeah. I don't remember most of it and but. like it, and it's basically it, it's not like a movie like Airplane that has like a plot mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a collection of like parodies set like little yeah. set, it's almost like skits, skits right but yep. uh, but it's it's all R-rated, and right? And they had a kung fu skit. And then Fist right movie. in the middle oh, of it, right. there's an Enter the Dragon parody, and which just makes fun of like so many things about that film. <laughs> and uh, I remember, you remember, like you know, Han uh-huh. has uh, obviously he has a fake hand yeah. in Enter the Dragon, right? Which he switching them up, switching them up, right? Yeah, he doesn't switch it up too much, right? But in the uh, Fistful of Yen, uh, the Enter the Dragon parody, the villain is played by the late. Um, Korean master uh, Bong Soo Han. I think he was a Hapkido master. Bong Soo yeah. Han. Okay. And, uh, and, and, you know, and he, he uses a lot of like uh, uh, Sekin's lines from the movie, but like, you know, he's like, you have our gratitude, right? And he would <laughs> uh, say yes. that all the time. And uh, he always, he's changing his fake <laughs> hand throughout it, right? And there's one where he comes in and he's on, um, he's in front of the mirror. And he has a, a, a hair dryer as his fake hands. <laughs> and he's drying his hair, right? And then he, like, unscrews. And then there's another scene where he's there with, like, some females or whatever. Shit. And he had, like, a dildo as a yeah. hand, right? Oh, yes. And so, yeah, it's completely crazy. Yes. Right? Um, I thought it was super funny. I don't know nowadays how that humor oh, would transfer. Um, but it, it brings me to one of my favorite lines, yeah. uh, you know, in 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 that movie, which is that uh, Han, I think he's Doctor Klon or Klon in in the parody. He, you know, his guards didn't do a good job, just like in Enter the Dragon, and then he needs to punish them, right? Oh no! And I think one guy he he chops his head off, and then after he chops his head off, he goes, "Now take him to be tortured," right? After he chops his head off, right? And then the other guy <laughs> right, right. comes, and then like I think the guy who comes after that, he's all worried because the guy before him got his head chopped off, uh-huh. and then Klon looks at him and he goes. Take him to Detroit. And then the guy's like, no. It's so great. So anytime I had a student once who moved to Detroit and I kept just sending him that clip every day, right? So anyway. Love it. Love it. Um, Yeah. I guess you did find it hilarious. I could not stop laughing and took no offense whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. Spot on as always in terms of unrealistic argument. uh, Unrealistic arg argument i guess he's saying argument can you help him read augment i I don't know if it's augment or argument okay and the homage that are built in these movies listen up people p.s on the subject of what martial arts movie is realistic iron silk have you seen it and what are your thoughts on that movie oh yeah i think that's an old one with a master panching foo okay Um, he's the guy who used to every day he used to hit like this metal plate like this like metal sheet mm-hmm. with his fists and so he would for fist conditioning he's like he looked like he had uh barnacles growing out of his yeah. hands right um i saw that but so long ago Ooh. so long ago mm. and we actually touched upon this a little bit in the, our last recorded episode where i talked about there should kind of be three categories for for kung fu movies it's like you have just fantasy fighting which i would argue is 99 percent of what All we right. watch right and then there's like Hard hitting, mm-hmm. which is stuff like Kung Fu Jungle, even the first Yip Man movie. Yeah. Yeah. Raid. But hard hitting doesn't necessarily mean realistic. It just means that it's like kind of gory and violent and, and everything is very impactful, right? But mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that what the protagonist is doing would actually would work, right? Because then if we really talk about what's really realistic, 
um, we have the fight from Bridget Jones' diary, all right? And that's it. So, um, you know, so, so we, we need to understand that there's a difference between hard-hitting in film choreography and still what is realistic, all right? Man, man. Cool. Good Do we have time for one more? Short one. Short one. Short one. All right, okay. Let's see if this is a short one. Kelvin Dyson. All right. Man, if it was Kelvin Dyson, I would just leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Monday, KFG time. Another great episode, Alex. I'm dying laughing at the whole premise of Tong Long Murderer. Oh, yeah. Well, I talked about if Way of the Dragon was a realistic kung fu movie, he'd be yeah. going to jail for murdering Chuck Murderer. Norris in the Coliseum. He killed the hairy karate guy. <laughs> it's a tangalonga. He needed to go to jail. To go to jail. All right. I have an AMA for you, and I hope no one asked this. Okay. If you had a choice to fight any of the characters that Bruce Lee portrayed, who would it be, and which character do you think would be less problematic. Oh, meaning let's which, run which one them of his characters down. do I think I'd be able to beat? Okay, <laughs> yeah. all right, let's go. Kato, Green no Hornet. No way, he's a superhero. Winslow Wong from Marlowe. Mm. Lee Sung from Longstreet. Mm. Chang from The Big Boss. Chen Zin from Fist of Fury. Chan Zun. Yeah. Chan Zun. <laughs> Close. Close. Tang Lung from Way of the Dragon. Lee from Enter the Dragon. Thanks for making Mondays great again. I think the only beatable one there is Winslow Wong you think from, so? from Marlowe. Why? Because his his outfit. Because I love his outfit. Where he comes and in and the kicks. Where he comes in and busts uh, James Garner's office up, right? Yeah, but do you know how he dies in that movie? James Garner's blind in that. Right? No, 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 no. You're you're confusing Longstreet. Yeah, I'm conf I'm totally confused Longstreet. Oh, and you thought we're talking? No, no. Marlowe is a film. Right. That stars uh, the late James Garner, mm -hmm. where he plays a detective, true, and Bruce true. Lee has a cameo. This is during the time when Bruce Lee, you know, he didn't have Green Hornet and he was kind of doing gigs okay. and teaching so straight, and teaching straight leads for cash. Kato. No, no, after. This is when he Kato. lost the gig. No, okay, Kato gotcha, was gotcha. his first gig, and, but that was only one season. Mm, so most of the time that he was sense. in L.A., he was unemployed. All right? <laughs> so um, that's why he was teaching and, and doing all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but he would occasionally get some TV gigs and, and some choreography gigs and stuff like that. Here Come the Brides, things like that. Um, but he got he had this one movie cameo, this one movie role in Marlowe. Marlowe is a, a detective played by James Garner. Uh-huh. And there's that scene where he walks into Marlowe's office and he busts up the office. You've probably right. seen it, right? The, where he, I think he kicks he, the Yeah, he jumps and he does the kick on the lamp and then uh -huh. he, he he breaks the, the, the desk and stuff like that, <laughs> right, right? right? Just like wrecks shit, right? He's got two scenes in that movie. Um and uh, that's the first scene. He's basically kind of like some. He's kind of like an enforcer. enforcer he's coming in. Yeah. He's coming in. I think I haven't seen Marlowe in a dog's age, but he's coming in to warn Marlowe, like, lay off this case or mm -hmm. go away or you know whatever, right? And then the second time they have the, the they have a, sh a showdown on the top of a building. Now, spoiler alert to a movie that came out in what in 1968. Yeah, uh, James Garner beats uh, Winslow Wong. All right. And uh, and he says it again in a way that's very inappropriate to modern day sensibilities. Um, he like Bru like Winslow comes out. I think he does some kicks or whatever. And he, he says, I, and again, I'm paraphrasing. I've not watched Marlowe uh -huh. in 25 years. Okay, oh, so I man. for sure so I don't have the line. Paraphrase. For sure I don't have the line exactly right. All right, 
but he goes uh, after watching like Bruce do his movements or whatever, and he he says something like, "You're very light on your feet." Um, is it that? Uh, could you be a little gay? And he basically <laughs> accuses Winslow Wong of being so fancy a foot because he's gay. Okay. And then Bruce Lee's Winslow Wong gets, <laughs> gets really angry. Really angry. Runs. Okay. Does a jump kick to James Garner. You're James lying. Garner like sidesteps and basically jumps flies off the building off the and roof. flies off the building. All right, I very anticlimactic. Which is weird because it's like that's <laughs> dude, that's freaking Bruce Lee, <laughs> and he and he gets this. taken out like a chump How with a I'm with a with a capital this. C, right? So I think of all the characters Bruce Lee has ever played, <laughs> if they if they were like if they were guy. real world people, right. I think Winslow Wong is the only <laughs> one you could beat because he was actually one of the few times I think he plays kind of a villain. Uh, so of course huh. he's got to lose at the end. All the other ones he's essentially the hero, the hero or he's bro, like yep. one of the main supporting guys, right? So that I think Winslow awesome. Wong is the only one you could um, you could beat. Or a second one would be Tan Tan from from Fist, Fist of Fury. Fury. Okay. okay? Because all you need to do is set up a firing squad, and he will run towards it and jump, and then you could shoot him. Okay? So I think of the whole thing, like, those two are the most easily beatable. All right? So, and that's all I got to say about that. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to like this video, subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius, hit that bell for notifications. And if you have any questions you want me to answer on a future episode, go ahead and write them in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Si Kung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilled. Alex Richter, always the victor. Lots of me trying to do my Bujitsu. <laughs> Bujitsu on your Chi Susu. <laughs> <laughs> what the? All right. Yo, the cave G's live from the inside of a wind tunnel. Yeah! Yeah! It is, yeah. It is hot in New York, and this uh, studio is like... <laughs> Throwing kicks like Vincent Lin in the wind tunnel. Like, Next up, we got Sifu Cuddle. Uh, hey, KFG. Yo. I got a Billy Lowe question for uh -huh. you. Didn't we answer this on the last one? I feel like we might have yeah. not. Is it, a, is it, it about was, the funeral? Game, uh, what are your thoughts about Bruce Lee's actual funeral footage being included in the film Game of Death? We might have answered I, this already. I, I, I think I answered this already. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> hey, Andrew, feel free to no. keep that in. Keep, yeah, keep, yeah, keep that in <laughs> no, there. No, Let people no. know. No. As much as people think like we're super highly selective about the questions, <laughs> stuff like that. No, this shows you in real time. He's just well, reading. It looks whatever. like I just kind of like yeah. spaced mm -hmm. out on yeah. that. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you.